0: Let's pray once more. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, We had a a children's sermon this morning, uh, sort of spur of the moment, and had the kids come up and... um, I said, hey, have you ever been afraid? And uh, the, the three girls were like, yeah, and, and Corbin Bledsoe was being tough. And he was like, ah, I never, <laughs> no, he's five, he's never been afraid. Uh, I said, when, well, when have you been afraid? And Lily said, well, when she got her IV. She had, had to have an IV. Uh, she, was, she was afraid. Um, Hannah, uh, one, of, one of the girls visiting with us this morning, um, said that she was afraid when she had to have a cavity. Filled. I was like, man, I had one filled like two weeks ago, and I was I was still scared. So, yeah. Uh, when we encounter our passage this morning, the disciples are also afraid. You know, the, the events of Easter morning. were still on Easter day, actually. In our in our text, um, we remember that Mary got up with the myrrh bearing women. She went to the tomb early. She had myrrh to anoint the dead body of of the Lord. They they asked themselves, well, who will open roll back the stone for us. They went in the dark. The stone was rolled back. Lo and behold, Christ had opened it, had opened the tomb. And they um, they run. Chaos ensues. They, they run back to Peter and the disciples and tell them. And then the disciples run to the tomb. And um, my dad was here on Easter and he said, you know, uh, that's pretty good, but I, I really wish you'd mention the fact that, you know, people didn't run in those days. That was not dignified. They would not have that was not a typical thing, so if dad's listening online, there's a, there's a wink. Uh, they ran back, and John, being a little younger, uh, got there first before Peter. And they go in, and they see that the grape clothes are folded up, and the linens are placed where they need to be, and there's no body. They go back, but Mary stays. Mary who stays in the place where the Savior was. She knew that's where He was, the last place He was. And then she's looking into the tomb and she hears a voice call her name. It says, Mary. She turns and sees the Lord. Her grief has turned to joy. She casts herself upon Him. This one who has defeated sin and death. uh, The Lord now of heaven and earth. That was in the morning. But you know, those disciples who went back went back to the upper room and they began to think i mean this, this makes sense why were they afraid well of course they'd be a bit afraid because what had just happened their leader had been crucified by the authorities now three days later the body is not in the tomb the stone is rolled back wonder who the authorities are going to come looking for so they go back, and our passage this morning says, On the evening of that day, of Easter morning, the day the Lord rose, the first day of the week, the doors being locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. Well, we know why the doors are locked. They were afraid. And little kids aren't the only ones that get afraid, are they? I mean, goodness. Think about our last year. It was a year and a month or so when we start when we had the last early service and we, you know, closed everything down. And uh, Joy spoke this morning about the fact that right at that time, her kids had gone to Florida for spring break, and all of a sudden there was this huge jump in numbers, and everything was getting shut down. Professional, you know, sports league, all kinds of things were closing, and she was. Afraid, because she just wanted her kids here with her, she said. She's afraid. Have you been afraid in the last year? Have you had a moment of, of worry, of concern, perhaps? Maybe, maybe you're past that now. I don't know, but I'd be willing to bet that you probably can identify with Hannah getting a filling, or Lily with an IV, or maybe spending some time behind locked doors in quarantine like the disciples. They were afraid. And then Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. Isn't that beautiful? On the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. And so immediately, this gets to be kind of cool. This gets to be kind of fun. Because you recognize the doors are locked. How did Jesus show up? How did that happen? Did you, I mean, have you ever thought about that? Jesus just, like, so he has a body. He shows him his, his wounds and his hands and his side. He has a body. He's going to let Thomas touch it next week. He has a body, but at the same time, he's just popping in and out of rooms with the doors locked. Does he walk through the wall? Does he just appear in a, in a place? All these questions begin to emerge. Jesus shows up in the tomb that the disciples have fashioned for themselves now. We ask that question, who's going to roll the stone back? Who's going to unlock the doors? I remember in seminary, a professor of mine that was talking about um, physicists now uh, and some of the speculation that's going on in terms of... um, the dimensions that we inhabit and can perceive, and perhaps other dimensions that are beyond our sense perception. So we inhabit three dimensions, right? So we have you know, height and width and depth, and we can experience this. Uh, but there's some speculation about, well, how did Jesus do that? And, and perhaps they say, well, there are a few more dimensions that he has access to that we do not in these bodies. And he said, I remember he said, just imagine like you're a word on a page which inhabits like two dimensions, right? Just imagine you're a word on a page. Two dimensions. And then suddenly as a word on that page, someone put their finger down beside you. You, you know, suddenly it was right there. Closer than you could even perceive all along. And then suddenly it entered into that two-dimensional space that you could perceive. And so he said, well, maybe that's what happened with the disciples. Jesus now enters in, in a way, uh, to that th- those three dimensions, uh, even because he can inhabit more space than we can. Now that's good. And who knows, right? Um, and that's interesting. It's kind of fascinating to think about. And it helps me imagine it a little more. But even more than that, I like what the early hymns of the church had to say about this. On Easter, the church would get together, just like we've come together, and they would sing this. If the virginal virginal womb or the sealed tomb do not enclose you, O Savior, how can a locked door stop you? So if, if a virginal womb and a sealed tomb cannot enclose you, Lord, how can a locked door stop you? And so maybe even the most important thing for us to think about is not how he got past the locked door. How did that happen? But that him invites us to contemplate some of the basic mysteries of our faith. First, the Incarnation. How does God become human by way of a virginal womb? How does that work? I can't explain that. Can you? It's a mystery. I believe it. I can testify to it by faith, but I can not explain how it happens or what dimensions were involved there, right? Or if we go from the incarnation to the resurrection, the sealed tomb, if the sealed tomb could not encompass him, enclose him, then pointing to the mystery of that, I don't know how that happened, how that worked do you but i believe it and i confess it by faith and the same way i don't know how jesus came to be in the room with the apostles gathered there in fear behind locked doors i don't know exactly how that happened but i believe that he did and that they encountered him and so the hymn invites us to contemplate the mystery of these things the wonder of them not to try to explain them away the next step, of course, is to recognize that we like to inhabit tombs. That we like to lock off doors to our heart. We've locked the doors to our houses this year, but, but we also like to section off parts of our soul from God. To, to, maybe, to maybe keep the things we fear at bay. I think what's so beautiful about this little hymn that they would sing is that it shows us how far God is willing to go to enter into our fear and our worry and even into the tombs we inhabit. So first, God is incarnate and He lives among us and then He enters into death and goes into the tomb, but even that won't hold Him, won't encompass Him, won't enclose Him and He rises again and we set up locked doors, and He passes through those two. And even then, we want to keep our hearts kind of safe from what, God, what might actually happen if we let God have His full way with us in our lives. But even that, He just wants to keep coming closer and closer and closer, especially in those places that we fear most. The church said that love and faith... Faith and love in Jesus are the ways that those doors become opened. The ways that we can begin to say, you know what? I do want the Lord to have his way with me in my life. And so the way you fling wide the doors of your heart is through faith and through love. And you, and you welcome Jesus in. I think fundamentally what I want to take away from this passage is this, that Jesus keeps showing up. Jesus, that's what an appearance, we talk about the appearances of Christ post-resurrection, but that just means he shows up. He keeps showing up. Think about it. He shows up with Mary outside the tomb who was uh, bent in grief. He shows up in the upper room with the disciples, right, Um, who are cowering in fear. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the two disciples who walked the road to Emmaus, confused about how this Messiah could have died and just wondering how to make sense of it all. Um, Thomas, if I if, if Ina had continued reading the very next, next passage about Thomas, who wasn't there that moment, but came back the next week and Jesus showed up again. And Thomas, who was full of doubt. And you know what happens when Jesus shows up? His presence changes things. He changed Mary's grief into joy. He changes the disciples' fear into boldness. He changes um, the confusion of the disciples walking along the road into knowledge and understanding. It says, when He broke the bread, their eyes were enlightened and they recognized the Lord. When um, He came to Thomas and said, Thomas, here are my wounds. Touch my side. Thomas's doubt was changed to faith. Jesus keeps showing up. Things change when Jesus shows up. And he did a couple things too. I don't know if you caught them. Two things. The first words out of Jesus' mouth after his resurrection, after he's gone to the cross, after he's risen again, after he comes together and shows up in the midst of the disciples on a Sunday, the first thing he says to them is peace be with you. And that's why, after we confess our sins in the liturgy and receive the assurance of pardon, which is grounded in the cross and the resurrection, the first thing we say is let the peace of Christ be with you. Because that's the first word we hear as we're set free. Jesus comes and says the peace Peace be with you. He says, my peace I give to you. It was actually a line that they would have remembered him saying the very last time they were in that room. Thursday. He says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When he established the Lord's Supper. Peace be with you. My peace I give to you. The last, one of the last things he said to them before his death and resurrection. And it's the first thing he says to them uh, once he sees them again. Peace. you know that's one of the things Jesus wants to give you in your life. As He enters into the locked doors of your soul, He wants to bring you His peace. And one of the ways He does that is He shows them His hands and His side. Like saying, this is how it happened. This is how I obtained a peace that I can give to you that passes all understanding. This is how it came about. But then he does something else that I wanted to focus on a little more. Um, He breathes on them. And you're like, whoa, Anthony Fauci would not be happy with that right now. Right? We, We, you know, he'd have to take his mask off for that. You know, no breathing in people's faces. Jesus comes and he breathes on them. And once you get past the COVID restrictions and then the secondary issue of like, that's really strange. Why would he do that? I mean... I don't know what like, breath would be like after you rise from the grave, but <laughs> it's probably quite pleasant now. Uh, but after you get past that, you say, well, this actually makes total sense. Because if you go to the very beginning of everything, God takes Adam, forms him out of the dust of the ground, and does what? Breathes into him the breath of life. You've heard me say that enough to know it now. And then Ezekiel 37 Famous passage. God comes to the prophet Ezekiel. He has this vision. He sees a valley of dry bones. They're scattered out. They've been baked in the sun. I mean, there's not a scrap of flesh left on them. And God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel wisely says, Lord, you know. And then the bones start to shake And to be pulled together and to come together and the sinews form and the flesh begins to appear around them. But then then the breath of God, the wind of the Lord passes in and the bones live again. The breath of life. And so Jesus comes and after He has entered into death and now risen to life, comes and He breathes upon the disciples so that they can be set free of the tomb they have erected. So that the locked doors of this upper room where they have sequestered themselves no longer bind them, but they receive in that moment the Holy Spirit, the Lord and the giver of life, real life, true life, kingdom life, resurrected life. That's what they're getting in that moment. I had some friends here this morning. Um, they are on vacation at Beach Mountain. They have three girls. They're a little older than us, so we were like, taking notes. We're like, okay, you know. They came over uh friday played in the backyard took a walk Uh, as we were walking hannah their oldest and lily and our anna were talking and they discovered that they all knew the story the lion the witch in the wardrobe you know you know the story c.s lewis an allegory uh so everybody sort of represents different things in the christian life Aslan, of course, the lion, is the lion of the tribe of Judah, is emblematic of Jesus. There's a white witch who's like the devil. Uh, Interestingly, in this story, um, Edmund, one of the children who finds his way to Narnia and eventually becomes a king with his brother and sisters, Edmund has come to a meal with his family and with, with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. This is an allegory, remember. And so they come together and they're eating supper. And Edmund is the one who leaves the meal early to betray his family. To betray those. Do You see the Judas character here? Who leaves the meal to go. And Edmund goes to the white witch to betray his family. And when he comes into the courtyards of the witch, he encounters all these statues. Because the witch will, with her wand, you know, turn someone into stone. So you've got all these figures who've been turned to stone. The doors there are already open. You know, you don't have to knock. It's easy to go in there. But once you do, you find all these stone figures. Um, Edmund, of course, later comes back and meets Aslan and apologizes for what he's done. And so Edmund instead of being killed by the witch, discovers that Aslan is taking his place. And so Aslan goes and he is put to death on the stone table. And he dies there uh, for Edmund and for what he had done. But during the night, while it was still dark, the table broke, kind of like the veil in the temple tore. And Aslan is alive again. And you know who found him first? The girls. The two girls. Susan and Lucy. Just like Mary and the the women found him first. And they play with Aslan. They celebrate. They, They experience joy. They were so sad, but now they know joy. Just like Mary was sad, but looking into the face of Jesus found joy. And then they go with Aslan. And you know where Aslan goes? He goes straight to the castle that belonged to the white witch. Just kind of like the harrowing of hell, Jesus goes and sets free those who are in the grave because He's conquered death. So too now does Aslan go and he sees all these statues, right? Been turned to stone. And y'all know know where I'm going with this. You know what He does? He breathes on them. And they turn from stone to living beings. Now there is a prophetic word in the Old Testament There's a promise that God will come in such a way one day where He will turn the hearts of His people from stone to to becoming hearts of flesh. So that His law is written no longer on tablets of stone, but on their very being, on their soul. And so Jesus comes in and brings His peace and shows them the way that peace was acquired and breathes life upon them and they are set free. They, they now are alive. They're truly alive. And those disciples hear Jesus say, just as the Father sent me, so now I'm sending you. And so those disciples begin to show up in the same way that Jesus showed up. And they show up first on a porch. Solomon's portico. It was the porch outside the temple. And the ones who were cowering in fear behind locked doors are now out in public at the place where all the Jewish authorities would be and those that they previously feared. And they're testifying to Jesus that the one who was crucified is now alive. That the one that they have put to death is now risen. And He invites faith in Him and trust in Him. He's the Messiah, the true one. And you can live. You can have peace if you know Him. And they showed up in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then in Samaria and they showed up to those who were sick and they prayed for them and they were healed and came to life. Uh, they, They showed up for those who were hungry, for those who were poor, for those who were on the margin and they brought them in to Jesus and testified to His goodness. Paul goes all around the Mediterranean. He shows up at the river where Lydia finds him. And she and all her family are saved the disciples begin to show up in the same way that Jesus shows up. And so I would, I would say that if you felt afraid in this last year at any time, if that's part of the story for you, I would imagine that you also have more to that story as well. That you have seen in your own life how Jesus has shown up for you turning grief into joy, turning fear into boldness, turning confusion into clarity, turning doubt into faith. Sometimes, perhaps, he's shown up for you in the same way that Jesus showed up for Dolly Downey, our former choir director. Remember that incredible story about how he walked with her for two weeks? She, she can't explain it. It's a mystery. But maybe Jesus has shown up for you through his disciples. Just as our scriptures tell us. And that's one of my favorite parts about our church and about each of you is the way that, that, that you show up for each other and are learning to show up for each other even more. Whether in prayer or when I was in quarantine behind locked doors. I, I mean, the, the phone calls, the text, all the food and the, the, the containers. There was so much I lost Chuck and Patty's container. And I haven't found it yet. Now, I'm embarrassed about it, so this is my public confession. <laughs> but, but over and over again, you guys show up for each other. And so my question to you is just as simple. If Jesus shows up, if Jesus show, calls his disciples to show up, where will you show up this week? That's, we can ask that generally, but I want it specifically for you to think about a person or a place or a circumstance where you can show up. Because when you show up, the one who lives within you shows up too. You're part of his body. And you're part of how Christ shares his peace with others and shares faith with others and freedom with others, and joy with others. So where will you show up? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.